Good morning and welcome to episode 506 of Effectively Wild, the daily podcast from BaseballProspectus.com. I'm Sam Miller with Ben Lindbergh of Grantland. Ben, how are you? I'm okay, although we got some sad news for fans of Ryan Webb over the weekend. Well, first of all, I would just like to know that, that sad news is sponsored by Baseball References Play Index. <laughs> Uh, right. the, the official sponsor of all Effectively Wild Sad News. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't consider it sad news. Everybody was replying to your tweet mm-hmm. as though this were, as though this somehow like changed the game or something. But Ryan Webb, I, I mean, he, is, uh, he will lose everything if he gets a save. And so at a certain point, it makes more sense for him to, to, you know, to sit out the last day of the season, basically, when he's you know, sitting on 400. Mm-hmm. I, I actually am not convinced... I think it's probably the case that he needs to pad the lead. Yeah. Uh, but I'm not convinced that he needs to pad the lead. I see. So the the news was that the, the Orioles traded for Andrew Miller from the Red Sox. One reliever in means one reliever out. And Ryan Webb was that reliever. So he was designated off the 25-man roster and optioned <laughs> to AAA. So he's still in the organization. And Buck Walter said nice things about him. And he's clearly the first guy on the you know call-up hierarchy so he'll be back at some yeah. point but for now his his game's finished without a save streak is is stuck at 86 and matt albers can get back in this thing if he can if he can get back on the mound oh yeah although i i looked uh with prompting from someone in the facebook group who made a joke about ryan webb getting a save in the minor leagues while he's yeah. down there and that has happened uh yeah he has three saves in the minor leagues. Matt Albers does not have a save in the minor leagues. So in a way, he is he's like the purest candidate. I didn't really have a strong affiliation before. I was kind of leaning toward Team Webb. Now I'm kind of switching to Albers because I like that he's never had a save at any professional level. That's interesting, yeah. Hmm. I didn't... I, huh, interesting. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. Uh I have a couple a couple of things I wanted to ask you about uh, before okay. we get before we get really going. Did you see the uh, the Diamondbacks uh, you know victory today with Nick Ahmed Ahmed? He was he was hit by something, right? Yeah, he basically he went sliding in to break up a double play, and his hand was up, and uh, the throw hit his hand, or some might say his hand caught the ball. Mm-hmm. Uh, Depending on what you think of his, uh, in you know, moral compass, and the, the no no interference was called, and he was uh, he was ruled safe. Uh, well, he wasn't ruled safe, but the, the runner was ruled safe at first, and and for that reason, the Diamondbacks were able to to win. Uh, first of all, uh, knowing what you know, do you have a, a headline ready to go? Uh, <laughs> just based on that, can you come up with a Diamondbacks headline? It's uh. actually too late. I. The submissions apparently come in real quick because that they've already got their top submissions up for for the day. But uh, if you have one, I'd love to hear it. I have one. Well, I mean, it would just have to be something about Ahmed lending a hand, right? Oh, lending a hand—that's good. Mine was Ahmed safe red-handed because <laughs> uh-huh. it probably hurt. Probably made his, his hand sure. turn red. Yeah. Uh, so uh, let's see. Uh, D-backs get a hand and win. Ahmed nicked by throw. Ahmed has a hand in D-backs victory. Um, a lot of hands 
in these headlines. But um, that's not what I wanted to talk about. What I wanted to ask you is I saw people who uh, were mad at him for this. Now, first of all, we don't know for sure that – I actually don't think it was necessarily intentional. To me, these guys go in with their hands up all the time. Uh, and I don't know, maybe they're all intentional or maybe that's just a, that's proper sliding technique. You slide in with your hands up for balance. And, and so I'm not, I'm, I'm not considering him necessarily to have done this with, uh, uh, deceit in his heart, but, um, assuming he did, assuming that he actually went in and, and tried to, 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 um, catch the ball, block the ball. Uh, and similarly when guys go in and they uh, maybe go out of the baseline in order to to break up the double play. Uh, I saw people responding to this by saying, oh, well, he's a, he's a cheater. He, hmm. he cheated. He broke the rules. And, in fact, uh, somebody was made a comment about how his hustle won the game, and Keith Law said, you know, it's hustling when you break the rules now, something like that. And hmm. I just wanted to, to – do you, do you feel like that's fair? Do you, do you feel like players have a responsibility to um, – to, to sort of follow the rules? Um, I don't know. In that instance, don't we, aren't players usually celebrated for doing whatever they can possibly do to break up the double play unless they're, unless they're going in with their spikes up or something or really trying to hurt the guy? Everything short of that seems like fair game to me. Well, but they're not celebrated for, like, for instance, taking, you know, banned substances. No. They're not celebrated for corking the the bat or for for doctoring the baseball. Generally speaking, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. they wouldn't they wouldn't be celebrated. Generally speaking, for stealing signs uh, using uh, electronic transmissions or uh, <laughs> yeah. But all of these things that effort. you're all these things that you're listing involve some sort of outside influence, some injection or or something that you put in your bat or your body that you don't it's not naturally occurring this is just heart and hustle uh yeah i actually uh, it's a, a sort of a, a loaded question or a leading question or something i i think that the thing that makes this totally not cheating at all is that it is the umpires uh, the, he did nothing that is not that is out of sight he did not do anything to deceive he mm-hmm. he did the act he did the act which was arguably illegal and but he did it in such a way that it is the umpire's uh, obligation to call that, and yeah. it's not as though he did it in any sort of sneaky way. He just did the thing, and then said, "Well, if you want to call it, you can call it." He didn't lie to anybody. He didn't pretend to, you know, like it's not like pretending to get hit by a ball or pretending to catch a ball that you know you trapped or mm-hmm. anything of the sort. He simply did the thing. And uh, and and it didn't get called. It's not his responsibility to call the the the, the error himself. I mean, this is why I always thought that uh, that it was so weird that A Rod got vilified for slapping Bronson Arroyo's glove because mm-hmm. he, you know, he just he did a thing, and if so, they called him out. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> like that's that was a pretty simple transaction. He did a thing. Uh, <laughs> the umpire had a job to call him out did call him out and everybody went on their way. Like it would be, it would be slimy, you know, a roddy kind of behavior if he had like done it to like, I don't know. I'm trying to think if like he had just sort of, I don't know, like clotheslined the third baseman while he was rounding the bag or something like that. And, Mm -hmm. And there was no action at third base. So nobody was actually watching and he was trying to get away with it when the cameras weren't on him. 
Um, so anyway, I don't think I have absolutely no judgment at all. Yeah, uh, it's it's like in in soccer when people get angry about players diving. The response to that from some people was that it, that the ref could call, they could give them a yellow card or whatever if he wanted to. I guess the difference there is that there's like one ref for the whole field, and so you're kind of he's there's no way he's going to be able to see everything, and so the the diving and the acting is a way of convincing him after the fact that something happened that did not actually happen. Whereas in this case, there are plenty of umpires to see almost everything and and certainly that particular action. So there's no real acting component to it. Yeah, I I generally hate the diving, but I I hate it much, 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 much less because there is a rule specifically about diving. If if, if they were just pretending to be tripped so that they could reap the benefits of pretending to be tripped, that would um, that would be deceptive and probably kind of gross. But the fact is that there is actually a specific rule that uh, you can call against mm-hmm. them that changes everything. They're they are risking they're they are sort of risking penalty and full knowledge that this is a risk reward sort of situation. And, yeah, uh, and the reward is outweighing the risk because that rule is never applied. Yeah, but that's but well, yeah, that's not their fault. It is actually. Uh, you know, it is a occasionally, right? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, second thing, did you see Sam Folds throw from left field? I did not. Oh, okay, All right. here we go. Did, while I <laughs> while I look this up, you may go read Diamondbacks headlines if you'd like. All I know about Diamondbacks headlines is that there were seven submissions from Nora Morse on July thirty first, and I'm I'm guessing it wasn't that Nora was just feeling prolific that day. I'm guessing. That had something to do with this show and our listeners. <laughs> so I like that he that he had he she had seven top submissions. We don't actually know how many submissions there were. <laughs> right. All right, so I'm going to send you Sam Fold. You are li- like literally the only person listening to me talk right now who has not seen it. I can't believe <laughs> it's shameful. Then all right. Okay, here we go. Here we go. <clears throat> From center field. What did I say? Left field. That's a pretty strong throw. All right. <laughs> uh, like, I don't know. how Pretty strong throw, I think, sums it up. It's a pretty strong throw. Yeah. yeah. It's okay. Is, is this a phenomenon or something? Yeah, it is. People were freaking out. Like, there were all sorts of people comparing it to Cespedes. Huh. There were like screen grabs of him flying through the air because. Oh know, well, yeah, I guess that's the thing is that he did one. Oh right, yeah, we we got we were tweeted about this. Um, yeah, so he he did the thing where he throws and he's not that huge a guy and he put so he put all of his effort and momentum into it and he flew in the air and he rolled after the the throw and so maybe that must be influencing people's perceptions of the throw because the throw was. Was Not good, that great. but it wasn't. It was offline a little bit. Exactly. It was up it was the third baseline. It was pretty high. It, you know, like it got some some elevation on it. It was pretty fairly shallow <laughs> center. Yeah, he's like thirty five feet beyond the infield dirt. Hmm. Uh, <laughs> So anyway, I just wanted to make sure that you were on the same board, that this was yeah, not no. necessary. It's way up the line, too. It's yeah. a solid 10 feet up the line. It almost got Norris. I mean, you, you could maybe argue that it, it almost got Norris's clock cleaned. If, yeah. anybody was, if anybody was really clear on when they are and are not allowed to, to knock the catcher out of the way, 
Norris might have gotten concussed on this. Mm. But nobody knows. And yeah, so, nobody so it. official position of this podcast, unimpressed. Unimpressed. Let's see. I'm going to check to see if this has made Sam Fold's Wikipedia page. Uh, <laughs> secondly, did you see Andleton Simmons play? Yes, I did see that. What did you think of that one? Pretty good. Uh, I don't know if it was Pantheon, Andrelton. Yeah, I, I, it it seems it, it it's it's impressive. Um, it's definitely impressive, and I as as a kind of a, as an entire choreography, it looks beautiful, and and I think that it is probably a wondrous play. I don't have anything to say against it. Each individual act itself doesn't seem impossible, and you come away kind of thinking well what was Rivera doing Mm -hmm. like why why obviously Simmons only play was going to be at second and why would he have like why would he just be standing there like a like an idiot Mm -hmm. um but I mean it's it's obviously it's great range yeah very very deep in the hole he looks at golly that's bad base running (laughs) oh my goodness it's bad base running yeah very deep in the hole uh uh accurate throw seems to look at two targets after leaping like he leaps and is able to assess the whole field while he's in midair mm-hmm. so that's good turns his body well it's a beautiful play i mean yeah. it's a it is a great play it's it it would be probably 15 of the 30 shortstops in the game will not make a better play this year mm-hmm. and it probably will be simmons 15th best play. <laughs> yeah uh and let me see do i have anything else i don't think i do all right uh my topic yes uh so so I wanted to talk more about the trade deadline, if we could. Not sure. really about the trade deadline, but kind of about something that came out of the trade deadline. I, I was on a radio show this, this Saturday, and the question that the first question that I was asked was um, about prospects and whether. Mm. Well, it was kind of weird. The question was like, "Is Moneyball dead because Billy Bean doesn't want prospects anymore?" And that that's a weird question. <laughs> yeah, because uh, I don't I don't actually see any connection between those two two clauses. Mm-hmm. But um, the the idea was this was a the the, the host uh, is sort of uh, thinks that prospects are overvalued, overrated. That teams like the Astros and the Cubs that are stockpiling them um, with the expectation that they're going to be good are making a mistake. That prospects are. Uh, just too unreliable, and um, that the uh, that Billy Bean sees this and is so smart, and that's why he doesn't care about prospects anymore. Um, and I don't, that that's just a a way of introducing why I'm thinking about this right now. But um, it does seem there there's there's always it seems like there's this kind of constant conversation that we have over the course of of uh, you know. 15 years where like we're sort of assessing whether prospects are overvalued or undervalued mm-hmm. like they for a long time they they were undervalued and so that's why you could get like the eighth best prospect in the game for like a rental of a number three starter in July um, and then at, you know I don't know around you know maybe around the time that Moneyball came out uh, it became sort of obvious that this was foolishness uh, and teams started clinging to their prospects a lot more to the point that Billy Bean would was sort of even complaining about how hard it was to get teams to give up prospects when he was willing to trade a, a pitcher and how you had to trade guys a lot a lot earlier in their service time if you wanted to get good returns back now and, and all that. And so then it started to seem like maybe prospects were, were overvalued. Teams, mm-hmm. I think we've had episodes about this. Teams were, uh, were 
too attached to their own prospects uh, and and ignoring the you know the likelihood that a lot of them were going to turn into nothing. Um, and so now we have uh, something that's kind of weird, where um, three of the smartest teams uh, in baseball, um, the A's, the Red Sox, and the Rays, all made big trades in which they seem to devalue. Maybe we don't know the offers that they got and all that, but they seem to have all made purposeful choices against having prospects. The A's, mm-hmm. of course, traded uh, the number five or six prospect in the game, Addison Russell, in order to, to beef up their rotation. Um, the Red Sox had two very valuable trade pieces uh, in John Lester and John Lackey, and rather than get prospects for them, as you anticipate in situations like these, they uh, they got veterans back. They got players who uh, are experienced and established in the majors. And then the Rays trading David Price instead of getting the sort of classic five prospect haul that we're accustomed to the uh, you know the Dan Heron, Gio Gonzalez, uh, Matt Garza kind of five for one kind of prospect haul. Uh, they basically got one guy who's in his third year as a major leaguer, as a full time major leaguer, and one guy who's uh, had you know about one year of major league service time, um, and then a you know an eighteen year old. So uh, sort of chose um, established kind of uh, players as well, mm-hmm. and so uh, furthermore, one other thing, Andy McCullough said that when the Ray, uh, Royals were trying to trade for pitchers, uh, they were um, one of the things that got in the way was that teams were not asking for their prospects; teams were asking for their established players, by which mm-hmm. I assume he meant Danny Duffy and, and Jordano Ventura. Um, maybe not, but I assume that's what he meant. Um, so th- uh, that's sort of an indication that the teams that were selling are not interested in prospects anymore. So uh, have we reached a point where prospects are uh, back to being unliked by teams or what? What's going on here, Ben? Yeah, there's something going on, and I, you wrote about it in, in one of your transaction analyses, and I I noted that too in my deadline winners and losers piece on Friday at Grantland because I was having a hard time coming up with a lot of losers because I didn't really dislike a whole lot of moves. A lot of the, the trades made sense, and so I sort of defaulted to making losers out of teams that did nothing and the common theme with the teams that did nothing it wasn't just the royals that were complaining about other teams only wanting their established major leaguers it was also the blue jays alex anthopoulos said the same thing that in order to make a deal he would have had to to you know rob peter to pay paul sort of thing where you make part of the roster weak in order to shore up another part because he Teams just didn't want the prospects. And I think the Pirates, I think Neil Huntington said the same thing. So this was clearly a trend at at this year's deadline. And uh, Ruben Amaro had had a quote about, he said, in this day and age, I think one of the most overcut, he said one of the most overcoveted elements of baseball are prospects. He said, I don't know how many prospects that have been dealt over the last several years have really come back to bite people in the ass. I think teams are really kind of overvaluing them in some regards. Uh, so he seems to think they're overvalued, but maybe that's a reaction to the last few years, not so much the, the present day. But I guess the if it means anything, it must just mean that there are fewer teams maybe looking far in the future and more teams looking in the short-term future, right? Because all of those teams that you mentioned, the A's are 
competing right now. They want to win right now. The Red Sox and the Rays are are not at the moment winning, but they expect that they can be in it next year. And and one of the reasons that they think they can be in it next year is because it's it's realistic for almost every team to to envision that. Yeah. Because yeah. of the second wild card and how much parity there seems to be right now and how few teams are completely out of it and even fewer teams that are out of it now look like they'll be out of it next year. So when you're in that situation, uh, there's there's an added allure to major leaguers who are young and productive and and are under contract for a little while, but not for a long while, because those guys are prospects who have already panned out. So they're the best of both worlds, in a sense. Yeah, I mean, there are clearly there are two teams that are hoarding prospects like mm-hmm. there's no tomorrow and yeah. they're the two teams that don't have any chance at winning this year you know and and haven't for the last couple of years every other team has been able to make some movement toward competition and and, and every, what every team basically has challenged 500 except for those two teams and and the twins otherwise and the it seems twins like, well, are another system with a, a another organization with a very strong system yeah uh, either challenged or or delude themselves into thinking they're going to challenge as with like the Phillies. Um, so so who is the last you can think of who got traded and came back to bite that team on the ass? And let me just hmm. before you answer, I'll give you some time to think. The first name that came to my mind is Carlos Santana, and that's a a, a no brainer. Except that was a long time ago, relatively speaking. Mm-hmm. So I just I just pulled up for for um, convenience. I pulled up the 2012 top 100 prospects. And I'm going through the list, and here are the guys who've been traded. Jesus like Montero. Andre Ethier or something? Like, that's, that's a while uh, that's, ago, too. Geez, <laughs> that's a long time ago. I feel like we before this came on, we were just talking about the Traveling Wilburys, and <laughs> Andre Ethier to me is like the same generation as the Traveling Wilburys. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, uh, all right, Jesus Montero, no biting <laughs> nope. of any asses. Mm. Trevor Bauer, no bite. Uh, Tyler Skaggs. Maybe, maybe getting toward bite. Eh, not there on. yet wait you think ruben amaro thinks that though <laughs> like you think ruben amaro would be like when's the last time besides trevor bauer <laughs> i mean ruben amaro thinks right. that trevor bauer's uh some punk kid and hates him <laughs> uh all right tyler skaggs uh i would say no bite yeah uh, travis darno no bite nope uh jacob turner no nope. bite um I guess Jared well, I mean, Jared Parker, Will Myers no bite yet. Well, uh, I mean, he was rookie of the year, but yeah, I mean that arguably Jared Parker. Uh, maybe the Diamondbacks trading Jared Parker bit, but mm-hmm. you know, Jared Parker is nothing irreplaceable. I mean, he's yeah, he's been okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, Drew Pomeranz nope. no. Uh, Yonder Alonso no. Uh, Zach Wheeler. How about Zach Wheeler? Are we counting that one? That's a yeah, good that's one. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, people cite that Beltran deal a lot. Yeah. So that's a, a Rodas Vizcaino, no. Um, Mike Olt, no. Uh, Randall Delgado, no. Uh, let's see. That's, I mean, I'm, Anthony Rizzo's on here, but he had already, he, he was a previous trade. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm already up to like number 55. Oh, Gene Segura. There's mm. one. Gene Segura is a bite. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that everybody, I think even in the front office, they that, that hurts. That hurt. That, I think everybody sort of regrets that one a little bit. Um, 
so yeah, I mean, I, the the other name I was thinking was like Corey Kluber, but Corey Kluber was like practically a throw-in. Like he wasn't mm-hmm. a prospect. He was a minor leaguer, but he wasn't a prospect. Yeah. Uh, when that happened, so so maybe he's got a point, or maybe mm-hmm. that's just the fluke of one year's worth of prospects that I happen to be looking at. Mm-hmm. Jake Marisnik, no no bite. Jake yeah. Odorizzi, that could bite. Uh, he, yeah, you know, maybe. I'm starting to think that he could be a bigger deal than Will Myers in that trade. Like, if I had to bet, I'm, I might say that there's like a 38% chance that he's the guy that makes the Royals regret that move. But only a 38 only a 38%. I'm still still on Myers, but 38%. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, maybe teams do a pretty decent job of giving up guys who they want to give up for some good reason or... I guess, but these guys are, I don't know. I, I don't, I know that there's that idea and I, I believe that idea, but I'm not willing to give them credit on all these guys. A lot of these guys were, were really good mm-hmm. uh, at the time. And they gave them up because like Billy Bean says with Addison Russell, you, you have to, mm-hmm. you have to give up somebody. Uh, so let me ask you this, Ben. Okay. Uh, let's say that I, I'm going to give you three pieces of information. Uh, about three teams. One piece. Uh, sorry, just one piece of information each for three teams. Uh, one of the teams has the best farm system in baseball right now today. Mm-hmm. W- one of the teams has the best record in baseball right now today, and one of the teams has uh, basically the highest payroll. You know, the highest sort of true payroll uh, capacity. So they're the Yankees or they're the Dodgers or whatever. They're the team that you expect is going to be able to spend the most year in year out forever. Mm-hmm. So you have to decide who's going to uh, be the best team in baseball three years from now. Hmm. And I'm going to give you, well, actually, no, next year. You have to decide who's going to be the best team in baseball next year. Okay. So mm-hmm. I'm giving you, I'm giving you ten, 10 chips to bet on this. And you can put all 10 on one team, or you can put, say, seven on one and two on one and one on the other to sort of hedge your bets. Mm-hmm. And that'll just be a way of, of showing me how confident you are in your bet, okay? Mm-hmm. So uh, next year, which team is going to be the best team of those three I gave you? I'll take the team with the best current record. And and how uh, many chips are you putting on them? I'll put, uh, I'll put six chips. Okay. Uh, two years from now. Two years from now. <clears throat> I think I'll, I think I'll give them, I'll take them again, uh-huh. um, and I'll put, put five, five on them. And who's your number two in this scenario for two years from now? Probably the rich team. Okay, three years from now. Three years from now, and probably every subsequent year, the rich team. Okay, so you're not picking the the best farm system in baseball at any point. I don't think so. Yeah. I think I agree entirely with what you said, except I might take the rich team in year two as well. Uh-huh. And we're talking about the ultra-rich team here, not just, it's no. not just like... It's a, not the Tigers. It's not the Tigers, it's not the Mets or something, it's it's the Yankees, the, it's the Dodgers. Al- yeah, although the Tigers, I say it, it's not the Tigers just to, to make the parameters clear, the Tigers have been a much better bet than the Yankees in recent years, so I'm not yes. saying anything against the Tigers. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I think that's probably true. And do you think that there's, um, does, is there anything that's changing in the game that makes you question whether that will always be true or so far as the outlook of the sport is right now, 
will it always be basically the case that you're going to take in the short term, in the first couple of years, you're going to take the team with the best major league roster. In the long run, you're going to take the market forces. I think it would always be that case because if it, if it were ever going to be different, it would be different right now, right? Because this is the period when when payroll has had the least correlation to wins, as we've talked about lately. So, so if I were ever going to not take the rich team, this would seem to be the the era in which I would do that and I'm still doing that mm-hmm. yeah. so but I don't I mean in, in terms of prospect value I mean it's it's not as if teams are not valuing prospects obviously all of the the next generation of good major leaguers most of them will be current prospects teams know that they're not discounting them so far that they are not still very valuable commodities but are we saying then that this is going to be the case as long as the current playoff format is in effect that that the smart teams and maybe increasingly every team as as other teams copy the smart teams are going to be more willing to part with their prospects and and seeking and coveting young major league talent much much more so than i mean i guess if i guess teams have always valued young major league talent if you can get a a guy in his second year or something, a pre-arb star, that's probably always been more valuable than a guy who's years away. But um, but we're talking about guys who are maybe more established and are already signed for a period of some years. So is this going to continue to be the case then? Is there any reason why this would just be a blip? Or is this the new normal? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Mm-hmm. That's that's more of a stop and think about it for ten minutes question. Mm. Um, so I don't know. It's a good question. Maybe I'll Ben send it to me in an email and I'll answer it on Wednesday. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll do that. <laughs> all right, uh, all right. So that's the show. Oh wait, one quick thing. Uh, mm. We talked about David Price and whether we were undervalu- under underrating the cost of paying him mm-hmm. uh, next year. And did you see where Billy Bean said that, that the reason that he went after Lester, or one of the reasons he went after Lester instead of Price, is that they didn't think that they would be able to trade Price mm-hmm. in the off season? Yeah, that but, I don't get it. I don't understand. I don't know. I, well, I mean, I guess he means they wouldn't be able to trade him for something that would make it worth their while. I, I, I guess once he's once he's signed for twenty million or whatever it is after arbitration again, and you're not trading him in the middle of a pennant race when some team is desperate to get the guy who'll put them over the top, that that you just wouldn't be able to get a whole lot for a guy who's making that much money. I, I don't but know. But clearly, you'd be able to get you'd, some. You get something. Yeah, you don't. You don't think that. I mean, because what what is Price worth? You know, in a one year contract, if you could get David Price at you know his one of his career peaks and you don't have to give him a seventh year or even a second year for it and you're gonna and you're gonna get a draft pick out of it and you're gonna get uh a year exclusive negotiating window if that's worth something to you what would you pay david price for for a one-year contract 35 million 30 yeah 30 somewhere in there i i think i would pay him 35 or 40 i think i probably would pay him 40 but 40 is such a shock that i don't think anybody would like Mm -hmm. any you know, it's just one of those things like depends for some teams that's half their payroll but yeah all their payroll yeah but uh yeah okay so he's clearly got tremendous value though in in 2015 i think so yeah okay i do too especially 
because if you trade him in the offseason, you get he comes with a draft pick. Mm-hmm. All right, so that's all then. Okay, uh, so support our sponsor, Baseball Reference. Uh, subscribe to the Play Index using the coupon code BP to get the $30 discount on a one-year subscription. And please send your emails for this week's listener email show to podcast at baseballperspectus.com.